everyone. Welcome back to the New York Film Academy Hour. We have a special guest, one who should look familiar to you at this point, and we're going to be talking about all of our favorite Christmas movies, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. You know that voice, that's Judy Garland, I'm Joelle Monique, and to my left is Peter Rayner, back to talk with us about his favorite Christmas movies. Peter's, of course, the author of Rayner on Film, uh, noted film critic. Uh, he's chosen a whole list of really great movies for us today to discuss, uh, not least of which is uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, classic 1944 film starring, starring Judy Garland. Uh, how you doing today, Peter? Fine, Joel. How are you? I'm really well. You you sent me on a magical journey as I went through all of these films and got a chance to rewatch and actually watch them for the first time. I've listened to the soundtrack to Meet Me in St. Louis like maybe every year since like middle school when I first started getting into theater, but I never actually taken the time to sit down and watch the entire film front to back. Holy cow, it's so good. Yeah, it really does hold up. I saw it about a year ago again and um it's just a really blissful movie. It's one of the best of the MGM musicals. Uh, it has a great score, including, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, of course. And, and it, uh, it it really does hold up. It, it was directed by Vincent Minnelli, who was one of the great musical directors. And um, But, you know, it's not, as, as is true, a lot of... of uh, Christmas movies, especially the better ones, it's it's not all blissful and happy. Mm. Uh, there's uh, you know an undercurrent of sadness in it with what the family goes through. Uh, the Margaret O'Brien character, the little girl, you know, there's a, a scene you know where she's sort of being you know running through the, the dark streets, and uh, you know there's a lot of stuff in this movie that I think connects up with with, with you know with childhood fears as well as adult uh, realization that life isn't all candy coated. Uh, but it nevertheless has such an eye-poppingly beautiful look to it, and the performers are so wonderful. Ex- expertly well cast. That little girl is a knockout. My yeah. goodness. Yeah, she she. It, it's one of the very best uh, performances I think ever given in movies by anybody under the age of ten. It's truly, truly. Every moment is believable. She's creepy as hell with her dolly cemetery but also yeah. you know that's how kids are they're weird and so <laughs> i appreciate that depiction before we get too far into breaking this film down and some yeah. of your top picks you had several honorable mentions that we wanted to talk about the first kind of threw me because uh, they always you know you're peter reiner i'm always like oh serious films history uh and national lampoon's christmas vacation is on your list of best christmas movies or honorable mentions right. for best christmas movies how does right. that end up on the list I just thought it was very funny, you know. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a very straightforward. Nothing response. more complex than that. No, see, I it, what a lot of people don't know about me is is I go to the uh, annual Three Stooges uh, convention I did uh, not know at that. the Alex Theater, where they show like three hours of movies, and people in the audience, uh, you know, imitate the Stooges and yes. you know, Shemp's daughter is there and or a, wow. a Moe's daughter etc so uh, I like dumb comedy if it's smart mm. let me put it that way um, and I uh, European Vacation I think is the best of the Lampoon movies for me uh, but uh, but the Christmas Vacation is, is very funny I mean Chevy Chase was no actor especially but he had a sort of deadpan that was the still center of all this mayhem that went on in all these movies and especially this one and it does connect up with a lot of of the uh, of the hassles and ridiculousness of of trying to be happy and festive and forcing yourself <laughs> to do all these things during Christmas time. So you know, not a great movie, but I think one that is uh, extremely funny in places. Definitely, and you always want a little Christmas cheer. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Die Hard, which is another one of your honorable mentions. This film is often considered not a Christmas movie. I have debates every year about whether it is or is not a Christmas movie. If you ask me, it very clearly is. What makes this a Christmas movie for you? Well, because it's set during Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. You know, and I think there's a reason for that. It, 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 they set it during that time because they wanted to make a contrast between you know, the, the, the holiday good cheer of, of the time and all of this uh, mayhem and, and shoot 'em ups that are going on uh, in front of it. And I think uh, it, it, it works well. It's, it's, 
not all Christmas movies have to be, uh, you know, tinsel and baubles and angels. Uh, this is a sort of out-of-the-box Christmas movie. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if Scrooge can be a good villain, I don't see why Alan Rickman's character in this movie <laughs> can't, be, can't be right up there with Scrooge. Totally. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and it's it's got a very classic American feel to it of, like one man taking on an army um russia versus america which is of course this is at the very tail end of the cold war right um and i feel like that kind of hoorah spirit goes goes hand in hand with the christmas spirit yeah i mean it's the christmas spirit is, is is a lot more comprehensive than people give it credit for there's a lot just a very quick anecdote about alan rickman um uh, a number of years ago, you know, he passed away recently, but um, I was at a, a dinner that he was at at the Montreal Film Festival oh. at a fancy restaurant, and um, all of the, uh, the help from the uh, uh, kitchen kept poking their head out and sort of pointing to him and everything. <laughs> so I, I said, wow, a b- bunch of real cineasts work in the kitchen here. You know, yeah. they, they know him from all, you know, truly, madly, deeply, and all these... <laughs> ups- and then I realized, wait a minute, he's the villain in Die Hard. That's what they're looking at. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people from my generation would be like, oh my God, it's Snape. You <laughs> yeah, know, right. Like, wow. Uh, certainly that would have been my reaction had I ever right. come across the great Alan Rickman. Um, right. But yeah, legendary. Another one of your films is A Charlie Brown Christmas, which holds a special place in my heart. I watched it every Christmas with my parents. Uh, we currently have a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It is a very sad, thin, old plastic Christmas tree that wow. we bring out every year. We buy a real tree every year, but we also keep this one out because there's something sentimental about the little tree that could, <laughs> you know, dressing it up with all the, the baubles and the lights and it, it has a special feel to it. Yeah, no, definitely. What? Why do you think people keep coming back to a Charlie Brown Christmas? It's really you know, funny and witty and charming and, and, and heartwarming, uh, all of those things that the comic strip is, was. Uh, you know, Charles Schultz, I think, had a real pipeline into everybody's uh, heart, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's very well animated. Uh, it's very funny. It, you know, it has a, a good script, shall we say, which is not true of a lot of, certainly not a lot of animated movies oh, and, or any movies. Um, <laughs> And it's just, you know, it's sort of a kick to see uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy and Lenny, everybody, mm-hmm. you know, in, in motion. Uh, we're so used to seeing them, you know, in, in the strip format. Uh, and, and it's also very Christmassy without being treacly, which I think is, is also, you know. And that you important. mean it's not so, like, like it's heavy religious tones? And well, and no, it's not gushingly sentimental. Yes, okay. Uh, you know, it doesn't really where it's hard on its sleeve, which makes it all the more heartwarming, you know, because you don't feel like you're being uh, bamboozled into feeling these these feelings, uh, you know, uh, overly. It, it's, it's not the Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah, no. Because no. <laughs> uh, a lot of Christmas, you know, a lot of, there's a reason why, for instance, White Christmas is not on my list. Mm. Uh you know, or Holiday Inn. I mean, or some of Miracle these films. Or Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. Which I was I, shocked. Shocked, <laughs> I tell you. I know. It's a classic. No, young Natalie Wood warming your heart, yeah, pulling on yeah, Santa's no, that's, whiskers. That's all good. I mean, it, <laughs> but I just think there's a little bit too much, uh, you know, God bless us, everyone in these sure, films. Sure, And, um, uh, which is, well, we'll get to some of my top <laughs> choices, which are more subversive than, shall we say, Miracle on 34th Street. That's totally fair. Yeah. Um, and, also and it was remade, too, I might add. They couldn't leave it alone. I mean, they remade that movie a bunch. They remade some, it. Yeah. I saw the 1971, 77 uh, TV spe- movie of it, which was just yeah. terrible. I know. But I do like the 90s version. Now, I'm not sure if that's because I'm a ki- I was a kid when it came out and it hit me in a nostalgia place where, like, like, now right, I've yeah. seen it a bunch <laughs> of times and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I grew up with that girl. We were the same age when the movie came out. Right. Or if, uh, if it's truly a good movie. I man, I could revisit that Natalie Wood version every single year. It's yeah. solid. Uh, I was going to say about a Charlie Brown Christmas. The score is what gets me on that movie. Coming back yeah. every year, the um, opening ice skating song is just—it's uh, maybe my top five favorite songs of all time. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's got a wonderful score, which is uh, you know, which they didn't have to provide. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, it could have survived without it, but it's just sort of icing on the on the Christmas cake. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I think a lot of Christmas movies uh, affect us in ways that 
go beneath our radar. So, I mean, you were saying there are certain films that you really love that aren't necessarily even good movies, sure, perhaps. Sure, yeah. But, you know, and I, I, I mean, I feel the same way about, about certain films. Uh, you know, particularly if you see them at a certain time in your life, like when you're young, it's very hard to, to throw that off because you feel like if, if you see the film again and you don't like it, it's like you're somehow... Uh, canceling out some uh, some part of who you are, and that's that's too grim to face. I recently so. saw we were back a dinosaur's tale, for which I think Ebert wrote three hundred words, which is very very brief for right. a Roger Ebert review, right. and most of it was focused on how he could have written the song for it. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, oh man, so we so bad. But as a kid, it was everything. Yeah. But that's what movies do, you yeah. know they they uh, they get you in unsuspecting ways sometimes. Well, what I do is I split myself in two. I say, okay, objectively speaking, this is not a good movie, but but I know that part of me that still loves this because of how I felt when I was nine, and and I'm going to keep that part too. Definitely. So. Uh, we also have on your honorable mentions list. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is technically not a Christmas movie. It's a Thanksgiving yeah. movie, but it's the holidays. We're going to try to include a and bunch of stuff snow, in here. A lot of snow in it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. The great Steve Martin, John Candy. Uh, I love this movie. I was introduced to it a little bit later in life. Of course, the iconic hotel scene where Steve <laughs> has this amazing eruption. This just spends maybe like a good 45 minutes to an hour with this guy that he can't stand. He's trying so hard to keep it together. And then he just loses. He's trying to sleep. He's tired. And at the end, the tables get flipped on him because he's like, you know, you, John Candy's like, you can't offend me. Like, I'm an easy target, but I know who I am, and, and I'm confident in that. And I feel like that's a tone that around the holidays, especially if you're going back to a family that is uh, maybe a little problematic, right. uh, <laughs> that that shield, that armor uh, is important. It's vital to, to getting through sometimes. Yeah. What made this a standout film for you? I mean, again, I thought it was just really funny, and also it does it, it is touching in ways that, you know, in the end, as you mentioned, that, that are, are, I think, genuine. Uh, you know, they're a great comedy team. Uh, you know, the scene in the hotel, you know, when they're trying to sleep in the bed. Oh, my <laughs> Steve gosh. Martin, he goes, those aren't pillows, <laughs> you know. I mean, that kind of stuff is just really funny. And, and I think... Uh, and it has a very satisfying, uh, touching wrap-up, um, which which is unusual for, for most movies in general. A lot of movies are good in the beginning or the first half, but they don't have a satisfying third act. And and this one did, um, and I think uh, it it does show uh, a bit of, of 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 the craziness of preparing for a holiday with family, and 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 being you know in close quarters with someone who you may not want to be in close quarters with, uh, but you still have to work out a way to 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 live. And I think that that's a metaphor for a lot of what people go through in the holiday season. Uh, you don't necessarily. Uh, cotton to all the people that you're thrown together with, but you Definitely. have to work it out in some way and, 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 you know, have a higher calling. So, you know, not to make too much of it, but, you know, because I think the funniest things about this movie are really great slapstick. These were two great comic artists, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a real shame that, you know, John Candy uh, died so young, but mm. it, it really uh, shows you, I think, more than any of his other movies practically what he could do. Yeah, incredible range uh, that guy has from being kind of if you see some of his earlier where he often cast as kind of like the gross slob big guy uh, punchline of all of the jokes um, and to see the, the depth he was able to craft and create was really incredible yeah I, Maureen O'Hara was in a film uh, with with him late in his career and, and I remember she, she said that that he reminded her a bit of, of uh, Charles Lawton and wow. what you know he might have developed into as an actor wow that's incredible great loss uh speaking of great losses your final film for honorable mentions is the carol burnett christmas special it is is that i'm sorry is that what i said (laughs) that wasn't on my list but but uh uh, i think babes in toyland the uh, laurel and hardy but but i i love carol burnett so so that's fine too (laughs) Uh, i mean anything with carol burnett is is fine with me i mean that was a tv special yeah 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 um and and she could spoof anything you know her 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 gone with the wind uh takeoff golly is a total classic. I've been looking for um, the full box set so I can watch all of the Carol Burnett. It's only seen like you know the super special episodes right, and the right. kind of air here and there. Um, but yeah, I hear that show is just a, a knockout. Yeah, 
yeah. to back. So let's talk Babes in Toyland real quick, Laurel and Laurel Hardy. Laurel and Hardy. It was, uh, you know, the Victor Herbert uh, uh, operetta that was done in the 30s with the two of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's the score is there, Babes in Toyland. But, you know, I love Laurel and Hardy, and, and it's really fun to see them in this, this sort of knockabout operetta where they're, you know, in, in sort of, you know, glockenspiel and bloomers and, you know, sort of playing these these uh, village characters that, uh, <laughs> uh, and yet they're inimitably Laurel and Hardy. Uh, and uh, it, it's just sort of, you know, whenever they're on screen, which is most of the time, it's pretty blissful. When they're not on screen, mm. you know, it's, it's a kind of uh, antique movie. <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. Definitely. So check those out. Uh, Laurel and Hardy's Babes in Toyland, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Die Hard, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. All excellent holiday films. Uh, but we're going to get into some of the tops, starting with It's a Wonderful Life, yeah. which is a film that I both find tedious and extraordinary. <laughs> I don't know how both of those uh, feelings exist in, a, in the same film. Uh, and I'm, I'm still not sure if it's just because maybe I was introduced to it too young. I feel like maybe I saw this movie first when I was five and I was like, I don't understand yeah. anything that's happening. We're right. here. We're flashing back and forward. But as an adult, specifically watching the scene where um, he's a kid in the shop and, you know, this guy's grieving his son who's uh, just passed in the war. He's a pharmacist and he mixes a poison in with a kid's medicine on accident. Um, and it's just like a heartwarming, touching scene. Um, and then, obviously, when we have the flashbacks later, Rizzi, you know, if you hadn't been there, all these things that might have happened. Um, and it goes to what you were saying earlier about, you know, it's not all tinsel and, you know, right. bobbles. There's there's real depth to the characters here. Um, do you either, A, remember the first time you saw this film, or B, can you talk a little bit about the um, impact it had on you? Yeah, well, you know, this movie came out in 1946, and remarkably, it was not uh, a big commercial success. It, it, you know, it, it got good reviews, but it was not anything like what it became. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for its its later success was that, as I understand it, it it, it somehow fell out of the uh, copyright mm-hmm. and into the public domain, which allowed TV stations and and DVD companies and what all to just show it, you know, incessantly. And I don't think they show it quite as much anymore because people are a little sick of it. But, but there was a time when uh, you know there'd be like 24 hours on Christmas Day of this movie, um, and that's because uh, of the fact that it had you know fallen out of uh, of uh, uh, copyright. Um, I first saw it not when I was a kid, uh, but on television in when I was in college in, oh, wow. the, in the 70s. So I came to it rather late, although it was still before it kind of really hit it big as 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 the Christmas movie. Um, and I just remember it being a lot more emotionally powerful than I thought it was. I, I thought that the the scenes with Jimmy Stewart, you know, almost jumping off a bridge oh, and wow, yeah. and looking at you know what life might have been and 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 all the the, the horrific stuff that that wa- entailed. That was really powerful, and it, it, it actually connects up as a performance with Jimmy Stewart's work in films like Vertigo or The Far Country or movies where he's playing these kind of obsessed characters who are you know sort of slightly deranged, and, and there are moments in It's a Wonderful Life when he really is kind of deranged. Um, so so that was something that, that I found had not really been... I was not expecting, uh, had not really been talked about much. I just thought it was this, you know, this kind of Dickensian uh, Christmas movie. Um, so, so that's what struck me when I first saw it. That 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 I found it to be much more emotionally powerful. Now, it's also very emotionally manipulative. And you know, Frank Capra, who was not working with his usual, you know, Robert Risk and screenwriter, but you know, the, the the team of Goodrich and Hackett worked on it. Also, a lot of uncredited people apparently worked on it, including I think Dorothy Parker, and Michael Wilson and Dalton Trumbo. You know, all of whom were later blacklisted. Uh, but um, it, it's a remarkably well directed movie, and just in terms of how the camera moves, and the, when he's when Jimmy Stewart is, is is moving through the the snow in the streets, you know, especially these long tracking shots, and and just the way you know the snow comes down and the darkness of it, it all, it's it's extraordinarily well directed. Um, 
and it it is overlong. Maybe that's why you know you you felt the way you did too. It I think it's well over two hours, and and you know, and and it is repetitive, and it does sort of drive home the same points mm. three times when one would suffice. But <laughs> uh, but it does have, I think, an emotional core that is why it's such a you know a perennial. Uh, and the ending, you know, is 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 as sappy as it comes, but it still gets you every time. You know where you know Clarence uh, jingles little bell and you know uh, I forget her <laughs> name the little daughter yeah. you know Pee Wee or whatever you know is hugging him and the family and it doesn't get any more calendar art than that. Yeah, the group shot right here. There you go. Everybody's this final shot of the movie. Yeah, and uh, you know, and Lionel Barrymore is a very bad villain, Mister Potter. <laughs> oh gosh, there's the a, worst. A, there was a great Saturday Night Live takeoff on on the, the original ending for this movie, which was not really, um, <laughs> where in the original cut. Uh, after the film ends, as we know it, they all go over to, <laughs> to Mr. Potter's uh, house and stomp him to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're a tenement lord who who basically is bankrupting people to live in a slum. And then you steal all this money and so you put this poor family in distress. So much so that this man almost kill, kills himself uh, in despair. He, Mr. Potter's very close to like a mustache twirling kind of vaudevillian yeah. Uh, yeah, right. villain. Right. Uh, but it's still a, a wonderful film. Um, beautifully shot. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, the romances are just so sweet and kind of classic and timeless. Um it's a Wonderful Life. Frank Capra, check it out. Mm. Uh, we also have another surprise on here. Bad Santa. <laughs> so let's get into it. All right. What? <laughs> you don't like this Set the film up for anyone who maybe hasn't seen it. Uh, well, it's um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays a, a, a uh, sort of a outlier, outcast, <laughs> renegade, rogue, drunk, uh, who, um, you know, is playing Santa, uh, and there's a, a robbery, uh, a, a, you know, department store robbery subplot uh, with a little person, and um, you know, it, it, it's. I don't. I like subversive uh, comedies in general, and if and if it's subversive to Christmas, then I think it's particularly fun. Um, I mean the 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 shot of of Billy Bob Thornton, you know, in, sitting in the in you know taking a bath, you know, swigging whiskey and smoking cigars yes. and, and yeah, uh, that kind of thing I think is 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 very bracing and cleansing, in a way, uh, you know, given all the, uh, uh, the 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 cotton candy that tends to there's certainly a heightened expectation around Christmas of like be in a joyful slash giving slash merry attitude 24-7 there's this idea of um, if you're not with everybody then you're being a spoil sport you're not here to help us have joy at the end of our year you're kind of ruining it you're a Grinch as it were um, and what I like about this film is that it not only challenges the idea of having to be happy it also explores like the ways in which you can be non-conventionally happy, which I think is kind of an important lesson. Because just because you're smiling doesn't necessarily mean that you are enjoying yourself. Yeah, I, you know, it was it was directed and I think written by uh, Terry Zweigoff, who um, is probably best known for the documentary Crumb on you know R Crumb, Zap Comics and all the rest of it. You know, so so I mean he comes from that kind of. Uh, underground outlaw world, anyway, as as a filmmaker, and and I think in, in a more mainstream mode, that's what he brings to this movie, also a, a kind of subversive, uh, you know, cracked quality to uh, to the to the Santa uh, myth. It, it, it's sort of like, you know, when you see these Santas in department stores, and and you know, everyone's go ho ho ho, and they sit on their mm-hmm. lap and they give them stuff. You know, I mean, the first thing you think of is, you know, who, who's behind the beard, really? And who's, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. I mean, are they taking little nips in between, you know? I mean, what's <laughs> what's going on, really? And and this movie just brings all of that out into the open. Um, uh, you know, not entirely disrespectfully. There is a certain sentimental wrap-up to it. 
but uh, you know, I I didn't see the sequel because I heard it was so terrible. Yeah, I was going to pass on that too. Yeah, but uh, you know, if 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 you if you like your Christmas movies to be kind of subversive, then I think this is one of the better ones. It definitely is. The, is the female lead in this Lauren Graham, or is it? It's the chick from Weeds. Why am I f- forgetting her name? Heather Graham? No. Mm-mm, no. Mm-mm, no. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she is also great in this film. If you're looking I mean, for a like, is, is very good funny comedic in this movie. moment. Uh, yeah. you know, but, but what I remember most is Billy Bob Thornton and his, uh, you know, just the way he slings it around. You know? <laughs> totally. Uh, you also chose A Christmas Carol, the 1944 version, I believe. Uh, what makes this version of A Christmas Carol the best? This is also a movie that has been done to death. Yeah, I mean, a million people have, have done this. You know, George C. Scott, Albert Finney. The animated version animated. with Jim Carrey that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, and, and if you want to count, you know, like Scrooge with mm-hmm. Bill Murray. And there's just a, a million variations on this. Um this was actually released, I think, in England. It was called Scrooge, and mm. then when it was brought here, it was A Christmas Carol. There's an earlier version from the 30s that's quite good, starring Reginald Owen uh, as uh, as Scrooge. But this one has Alistair Sim, and uh, I think by common consensus, this is the best of all of them. I saw it again fairly recently, um, and uh, it, it's it's terrific. I mean, Alistair Sim was a great... British uh, comic actor who also had some serious dramatic chops, and he did a lot of, uh, you know, music hall and and uh, and things like that. And he he's just the perfect Scrooge. First of all, he looks so much like Scrooge. I mean, even when he wasn't playing Scrooge, he has right. that kind of uh, you know, he looks like he just bit into a lemon. And, and <laughs> uh, you know, he's and, and and there's a wonderful I hate to use screenwriter one A terms, but character arc. To this, uh, where you know you see the stages that he goes through, and when he finally reforms, um, you know after the the ghost of Christmas future, and 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 becomes you know the benefactor to to Tiny Tim's family, etc. That that I mean the joy that he expresses that that he has a, another chance at at being good at at being alive is is absolutely in, uh, you know exhilarating the way he does it you know he just he can't stop dancing so i'm so happy i can't stop it you know and he keeps jumping up and down and 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 it, it's just it's a wonderful wonderful performance um uh, you know the movie itself is a little creaky as a piece of direction and 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 a lot of it is, is sort of standard you know 50s british uh, you know tasteful not terribly inventive filmmaking but but Sim is so great in this that uh, you know, and after all, it's all about Scrooge. It's a Christmas Carol is Scrooge, and if you don't have a good Scrooge, it doesn't matter how good the rest of the movie sure. is. So I would say this uh, this remains the best of the Christmas Carols. It's one of the most interesting to look at and view. It's got uh, that kind of classic, like forties, fifties. Maybe even 30s style theater look yeah. to it with the old kind of heavy costuming going on. Yeah. Um, and then you have, like, England is obviously known for creating incredible actors dedicated to their craft. Um, so to see so many at the height of kind of the theater boom uh, in this film, too, it's really incredible to watch. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, I've already read the book or seen the movie, but if you haven't seen this version, you maybe haven't seen it done quite right yet. Yeah. I mean, the special effects are not terribly special, you know, for that era, especially. I guess you know. But even that lends to some of the magic. I love watching special effects from like old films. You know, yeah. even uh, Lumiere. Like it's just, it doesn't matter that it's not necessarily believable. Like it's not it's supposed to They're pass for hard. believable. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, it's there's a magic yeah. to it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's a kind of magic to the crudity and what they were trying to yeah. do. And and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really. You know, a lot of people haven't read the Dickens book who think they have and then you know it says well wait a minute did i actually read it or have i just seen all these movies right fair you know um but uh, i would like to think that dickens would have liked this one too because even the way sim looks in the movie is is sort of reminiscent of of some of the drawings and engravings that accompanied uh you know some of the dickens books uh you know like david copperfield and others and and, and you know and christmas carol um it, it's it's uh uh 
it's a remarkably touching performance. There was no reason why he had to give that as much emotional power as he gave it. You know, he could have very easily have done it in in some other way, and it would have worked very well in terms of the story. But but you know, as I say, when he finally f- is redeemed and realizes he has a second chance at life, uh, it's it's just a very powerful moment. Um, you know, more so than even the the uh, the the um, framework of the movie uh, is is set up for. Uh, it's um, it's just very touching. I, I like I said, I saw it again recently, and uh, I'd never seen it on a big screen until <laughs> then. Though I saw it uh, in a movie theater, and uh, uh-huh. it was it was really. Did that change your perspective of the film at all? A little bit, you know. Some films don't lose a whole lot mm. on TV or 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 uh, or the big screen. This is something that I always saw, you know, around Christmas time on TV. Um, but uh, they were showing it, you know, at the Arrow in Santa Monica, and uh, uh, along with a not very good movie, a new movie, The Man Who Invented Christmas, which oh is boy. about yeah about Charles Dickens writing Christmas Carol. You can forget that movie. Oh, but, no. uh, <laughs> I really wanted to enjoy that movie. I like the idea. Who's the main actor in that? I, some non-entity. I, I mean, oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I it's... Uh, it. I mean, Christopher Plummer is in it, and mm-hmm. uh, and Jonathan Price. You know, there's some good actors in it, but but uh, it's kind of a big zero in oh, the center. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um... It's interesting to me how many of these movies deal with redemption, because uh, I'm not sure if it, like, if somebody were to just ask me off the cuff, like, what are some themes of Christmas, and I'd be like, well, family togetherness, perhaps, um, you know, birth, merriment, uh, that kind of, mostly, mostly I think of, like, coming together and, and gathering around, but the idea of becoming a new person uh, is kind of prevalent throughout these things, including me, me and St. Louis, um, where you have, you're dealing more with children kind of growing into the next stages of their lives. And then the adults are kind of figuring out how to connect with those children. So um, if you haven't had an opportunity to see it, uh, meeting St. Louis is, is basically about a singular family. Judy Garland's kind of your entrance viewpoint into the family. She's got two little sisters, an older sister and a brother, um, their grandfather, housemaid, uh, and then the parents. So it's a big family. And you kind of follow all of their adventures from my favorite moment is the little kids on Halloween. Yeah. I'm not even going to like it's so like stranger things has kind of brought back a look at children having their own insulated lives and you've seen these girls around adults or around their sisters teenage friends and in those moments you have you know well-behaved you know kind of pushing the envelope little girls so they're like well maybe we could stay up and sing and people are like oh they're you know they're just so cute of course you can stay up and sing like you know show us what you got or you know with their dad they you know they're making little jokes at him and uh you know he threatens to spank them which is hilarious Mm -hmm. um but it's not until the halloween moment where we see them just go full on like little monsters (laughs) like we're gonna throw a fake body on the trolley track right it's a little (laughs) ghoulish it's Uh, amazing yeah yeah well again i mean i think that movie has more of an emotional range than people uh you know give it credit for and and that's true of a lot of great sort of quote family films that um i think many of the best of them uh have a much wider emotional range than uh than they're given credit for And, and you know I think great Christmas movies or great holiday movies don't necessarily have to be about Christmas. If it, uh, the the Black Stallion, the Carol Ballard's uh, movie, I think is a wonderful film for for families to see during the holidays. Definitely. Um, the Red Balloon, you know, the the classic French film. Matilda. Matilda is is terrific. <laughs> great yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Movie. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of them. One of the things that you don't find in most Christmas movies is is a very hev- heavy uh, religious aspect. Mm. It's interesting. Um, I mean, there's very little of that in any of the films that I'm mentioning or, or many of the others. There may be religious aspects to some of them, you know, in this foreign films like Joie and Noël, the French movie and so forth. That, but you don't really get that aspect of it. Um, and I guess part of that is... is uh, 
you know, I mean, it's sort of a commercial d- decision that, uh, you know, you're going to, you don't want to alienate any audiences. Any audiences. Sure. Uh. I also feel like birth is disgusting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's the beautiful miracle of birth, which is great, but, like, amongst the animals and the bodily fluid and, like, it's just a lot <laughs> to try to, to depict. But, like, a new life can be shown in a lot of different ways, and maybe that's why redemption is a huge kind of theme throughout Christmas films. Um, What I liked about Meet Me in St. Louis, or actually I wanted to ask you a question. So this was filmed in Technicolor, I believe. Uh, Again, this is a 1944 film. Uh, Do you you prefer the black and white or the color? Because like my parents, who would see this movie um, on TV around Christmas time as they were coming up in the 60s, they were like, well, it should be in black and like it's bizarre to them to see it in color. But I think I watched the um, Blu-ray remaster in color and it is a gorgeous oh, film. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it all depends. There were a lot of movies that that were in black and white of course that were classics and no special reason for them to have been in black and white even if the technology was was uh, doable at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh but but this was um I think it was a three three strip Technicolor uh you know MGM beautifully shot. Uh it, it I think it it would not, it would have been reduced had it been in black and white? Just, you know, particularly the Halloween scene that you mentioned. You know, with Margaret O'Brien running. You know, in the mm. pump, the, the pumpkins, and you know, lit up at night and so forth. I, I don't think that would have worked as well in black and white. You know, that that sort of you know, glowing, glowing orangey totally. in the dark is 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 something that could only be achieved through contrasting color. Uh, and you know, I I think. There was a restoration of the film. I know this. The, the films from that era that were shot in that way, uh, I think, de- decayed less than some of the later color movies that that uh, you know were much much worse off a lot sooner. You know, Jaws, the the ocean and Jaws is now purple. Uh, uh, you know that sort Ugh. of thing. Um, but uh, no, I th- I think it uh, it's uh, of course. You know, when I was a kid growing up, uh, for <laughs> for a long time, we didn't have a color TV. You know, my dad was always waiting until they perfected color. So <laughs> I, I would see a lot of these films on TV and assume that they were in black and white. And then later on, when I got to see movies, in, you know, for real in theater, I said, wait a minute. It's in color. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was very strange. Uh, that wasn't the case with me, with me, me in St. Louis, but, uh, but it was for, you know, a number of other movies that... Uh, that came along, and um, uh, you know, it, it's it's best to see films in the way they were shot. Uh, but this movie, I think, is is irredeemably helped by being in color. Yeah, um, even just looking at Judy Garland, uh, just gorgeous. I believe this is fifteen years after uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, because that's that's twenty nine, right? Uh, that's 39 Uh, okay so then it's only like five or six years after um it's interesting to me uh i'm kind of obsessed with judy garland's know a lot about her (laughs) life um and you can almost see the pain on her face in some of these she's just she's an incredible talent but there are moments where she's singing where i'm like you are just not even here um uh this is at a time when you know her weight was being very heavily monitored she's being you know forced to smoke a lot of cigarettes to try to keep it down and she's not getting a lot of sleep uh studio schedules back in the day were not we're concerned about anybody's health or or safety they were like we will shoot 18 hours a day and you'll just keep showing up we own you um And yet somehow through all of that, Judy still kind of remains a, a mainstay in households uh, f- long after her death. Uh, and then, of course, she produces the lovely Liza Minnelli, who um, is also a classic mainstay. If you're into dark, brooding movies around Christmas, you can definitely watch Cabaret. Uh, has <laughs> some Christmassy time themes in it. Yeah, right. um, but also just the darkest film Um but yeah, I, I was really glad I sat down and watched this. The costumings were great. And and also, interestingly, it's around like my one of my favorite events, which is the World's Fair. Um, I'm yeah. obsessed with the Chicago World's Fair, which happens about 20 years before the um, St. Louis World's Fair, which is 1904, which is when this film takes place. I was really excited. They've been talking about the fair the whole time. We finally get there. and We don't get the grand reveal. <laughs> 
<laughs> that I was looking for because I looked up all of these photos. Um, they have yeah. these great Venetian boats, um, and people would take to get to the main portion of the Louisiana Purchase Fair is what they were calling it. Right, right. Um, but, you know, this was 40, 50 years after the actual fair, so they had torn it down by that point. Um, but still kind of great. Also great to see how, like, little cities were kind of envisioned back then. When they were like, we're moving to New York, I'm like, why are you not all jumping up and down with excitement? You're going to the big city. Um, but at that time, you know, we were having a big boom, and each city kind of had its own personality. And I think yeah, I mean, MGM was known for, you know, more stars than there are in heaven, and all these big spangly musicals and musical stars, and, you know, they just knew how to, how to whip it into shape. Not, not always, but certainly in this film. I, you know, I'd love to show this to, uh, you know, a, a, a class at uh, New York Film Academy and see how they would react to a film that, you know... I, but I did show this film, I, I won't get into the circumstances, but about a year ago um, at a, uh, a retirement home... Oh, wow. ...to a bunch of, you know, rather old people who were, who were you know, living in the home. And... Um, and it, it, many of them had seen it before, and it was quite touching, you know, when, when they're singing, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis. Everyone in the audience, all these oldsters, are, you know, Meet Me in St. Louis. They just start humming it, you know. It was really wonderful. It's uh, sweet, and what a lovely introduction to the film, too, because you kind of meet each character as they're singing a phrase of the song, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, it's, it's just, uh, for what it is, I think it's a pretty perfect movie, actually. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Judy Garland, uh, uh, had a really harrowing career in many ways, you know, given all that she had to deal with and, uh, uh, but, but, you know, she was underneath it all, Francis Gum, you know, the, uh, of the Gum sisters and she <laughs> came out of vaudeville and, you know, and, 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 and all of the, and so she was a real trooper. And I think she, you know, whatever else was going on in her life, uh, she was able to sort of banish all of that in films like this and show you, uh, you know, what uh, what the, the bliss that was there underneath it all. And, and also some of the scariness and, and, and emotional upset, too. Because, yeah. you know, I'll say, you know, yet again, this movie has a full emotional range. It's not a, a uh, Hallmark card. Yeah, the um, right toward the end where the little sister kind of freaks out that they're moving and starts destroying the snowman, um, and she's just trying to talk her down in the snow, you get the sense that she might have reversed the roles a little bit. Like, yeah. she at one point might have been that little girl unable to right. um, take action in her situation. Right. Um, and it's a really heartfelt moment between the two of them, and, and it's played beautifully if you haven't seen meet me in st louis which i hadn't seen until recently i highly recommend you check it out the last film on your list is the shop around the corner which is the one movie i did not get a chance to revisit on your list um again i'll just ask what makes this such a standout as a christmas film it's just such a wonderful movie uh you know it's set uh, you know christmas time and it it's uh, you know these these uh, people who work in a shop is you know Jimmy Stewart and and um, Margaret Sullivan, uh, and they're both kind of lovelorn and they they sort of exchange uh, romantic uh, uh, missives without knowing who they're s- sending them to. You know mm. it, it it was remade as You've Got Mail, you know with Tom Hanks and and uh, but not as well of course. No, uh, but. Uh, you know, so they're sort of in love with this person that they don't know, and, and then when they finally realize th- that that they're corresponding with each other, uh, and for most of the movie they actively don't like each other, <laughs> and then they realize what's underneath it all. I, I mean, it, it it could have been hokey, but it is so poetically done, uh, and and uh, you know it has this sort of old Viennese atmosphere to it. It was directed by Ernst Lubitsch. You know, who is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful director. Uh, you know, the Lubitsch touch, which was kind of you know romantic and and poetic and romantic. Uh, and, and I think he's at his height here. And it was written by Samson Rafelson, who wrote many of Lubitsch's best movies, including this and you know Trouble in Paradise. Um, and I think you know it also is one of the rare movies that really I think describes shows you what it's like to work with co-workers in, 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 a, in a just a 
working situation, what that's like, you know, realistically. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of movies, it's like movies about high school. It's, that's not the way high school was. Right, right, definitely. You know, it all kind of looks phony because we've all been there and that's not what it's like. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, I think it really does sort of capture that, you know, that love-hate approach avoidance thing that you get when you're, you know, with coworkers all the time. And, and, and because there's a romantic edge to this as well, uh, it just heightens the the disparity between the two of them so that when they finally get together, it's like a match made in heaven that neither of them ever anticipated, and yet it's inevitable that this would be the case because we know, even if they don't, that they're meant for each other. Uh, and that's the perfect romance. Um, and, and, you know, Jimmy Stewart is, you know, you look at his performance in this movie and then in It's a Wonderful Life, and you can see, again, what, what kind of range he had as an actor, yeah. that he could go from, you know, kind of light romantic uh, to, to, to something more obsessive and deranged uh, and, and be equally believable. It looks incredible. I'm probably going to rewatch it tonight because as I was going through doing my research on it and looking at some of the stills, it's a very strikingly beautiful film. I love You've Got Mail. Um, so I definitely want to revisit Yeah, this. well, this is the, the granddaddy of that. <laughs> this film, you know, despite the, the fact that so many people love it, is not as well known as it should be. I didn't see it until, you know sort of the middle of my movie going career I didn't see it when I was a kid like a lot of people did I was once on on uh, Nightline with Ted Koppel when Jimmy Stewart died and they had me on to talk about Jimmy Stewart and um and I remember men- mentioning on the show that Chop Around the Corner was one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart movies and then there was a commercial break and I hear Koppel talking into my ear he goes I'm I'm not familiar with that movie. Um, what sh- what is shop around the corner? You know, uh, I mean, it really is is one of the the best movies of its type that's ever come out of the studio system. Why do you think that kind of got lost to history? Or why don't we talk about this as much? I don't know exactly. Uh, uh, maybe maybe because it's kind of more nuanced and mm. subtle than a lot of these films. I mean, it's a wonderful life. You know, grabs you by the lapels. Sure. Uh, and, you know, and a lot of other films like, uh, you know, White Christmas, et cetera, mm. uh, are very much, you know, and they have big scores, Irving Berlin and whatnot. This movie is much more poetically restrained and nuanced, and uh, um, and, I, and maybe that's why it, it didn't quite grab people in that way. Uh, it, it, it's a Christmas movie, but it doesn't advertise itself as such. It certainly has a great reputation among those who've seen it and those who, who love Lubitsch's films, etc. But um, I still think there's room for more people to see this film. Definitely. Well, I want you guys to check out these movies. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Carol, Bad Santa, The Shop Around the Corner, and Meet Me in St. Louis. Remember, if you're going to do uh, The Christmas Carol, you want to do the 1944 version. That is the... Yeah. Uh, most spectacular one. I will also give you a list of some of my favorite films. Uh, I already <laughs> mentioned um, Cabaret, if you're into dark stuff, if you're also into dark Christmas movies. The Family Stone uh, is one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's so dark, guys. It is sad. You will cry, but it is really good and touching. Um, gosh, I feel like there's one more dark one. If I remember it, I'll throw it up online. Um, other great, like Children's Lunch, Matilda is great. The Matilda's Nightmare Before wonderful. Christmas yeah. is obviously dark. a classic. It's it, <laughs> What I like about the night before Christmas. Tim Burton. <laughs> well, not only is it Tim Burton, <laughs> yeah. but it definitely uh, also is a great way to teach kids about cultural appropriation and staying in your lane. Um, <laughs> and, and then you just have uh, wonderful voices, voice actors in that one. Um, literally any like 60s animated cartoon <laughs> Christmas movie, Frosty the Snowman, Jack Frost, all of those, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Insta Classics. Um, and then, you know, Mean Girls. <laughs> because That's a Christmas movie. They have one Christmas scene in it, and so I'm counting <laughs> okay, that count, it. it counts. And it's beautiful and ridiculous. Right. Well, Joel, there's one, one I forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, which please. Is, yeah, the Carol Ballard, who did The Black Stallion, did a, a marvelous uh, version of um, uh, uh, The Nutcracker. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a ballet. It was on as, you know, with um, uh, designs, uh, production designed by Maurice Sendak. Oh. Uh, and it's 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 a wonderful wonderful movie. You know there have been a million Nutcrackers also, including uh, on film and on television. 
But this is a really, really wonderful version of it. Is this one just the ballet? It's just the dance, or do they it's include the dialogue? And yeah, no, it's just the ballet. That's amazing. Uh, you know, with all the great, you know, Tchaikovsky music, of course. I need to watch that. I love Maurice Sendak. He's amazing. Yeah, it's, it was, you know, it was, it was a production that was done on stage, and then Ballard uh, filmed it. But he filmed it very cinematically. It's not like he put the camera in, in the third row and right. just Let turned it, it on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, he was he was a great director. Is a great director, and. Um, uh, you know, and, and uh, I mean, however many times you've heard the Nutcracker, I think it, it's still wonderful to see it performed in this way with that great mm-hmm. set design. Uh, and um, yeah, I think it, it came out in the uh, uh, in the late '80s or early '90s. But it, you know, it's it. it uh, and again, it's not as well known as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I guess because people have had it with the Nutcracker, but but really, it it, it should be seen. I'm gonna check that out because yeah. I've never uh, I've seen the ballet a couple of times, Joffrey Ballet in Chicago, but I, I yeah. have never really watched a cinematic version of the ballet before. Yeah. Uh, maybe a PBS special, but but that would be really cool to see. Also, I have I have like three more guys: uh, Best Man and Best Man Holiday. Again, <laughs> if you're ready to cry for Christmas, <laughs> that's where you want to do it at. Um, and then, uh, uh, oh my gosh, best, uh, um, oh my goodness, The Bodyguard is a pretty good Christmas movie. Uh, a Preacher's Wife, that's the Whitney Houston movie I'm thinking of. Okay. The Preacher's okay. Wife, look at you. It's not a great <laughs> film, but you'll enjoy it anyway. Thank you guys so much for enjoying us Well, you just, just uh, anything goes on this show. You know what? <laughs> Some movies just touched you, <laughs> and you grew up with them, and they're spectacular. Um, I've been Joel Monique. Peter, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, I really Joelle. appreciate okay. having you, giving your expertise on really good films you can watch for Christmas. Okay. You know, do you guys share some of your favorite Christmas or holiday movies? Uh, next year, I'm going to try to do a special where we talk about, like, movies for this time of year that are not just Christmas-centered, because I know they're out there. I don't have a lot of experience with them, so chime in, they're, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I don't know of any great Hanukkah movies uh, or Kwanzaa movies. I mean, it just seems like, uh, you know, Christmas kind of has... I it's know. still the, the, the one and only. But I just uh, feel like yes. they've got it. Maybe maybe we just haven't experienced, or maybe they're not good movies, but people are like, but damn it, this is my holiday movie. That's and right. I will be happy to watch and cover those. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, come back next week. Peter's going to join us again this time to do a full year in review. We're going to look at all the movies, not all the movies, but a lot of movies that came out this year. Talk about the current climate of Hollywood, the films coming out of Hollywood, some good indie movies. Again, you can always make suggestions below. We appreciate you guys joining us, and we'll see you next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.